Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good morning. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I do want to uh, thank the deacons for lining up service leaders and for leading during the service during Pastor Lloyd's sabbatical. Uh, I've got no problem doing both the leading and the preaching, but it lets me sit with my kids for a while during the service, which I enjoy and which my wife is uh, grateful for. Uh, but I also think that you would get tired of hearing me for an hour each week. So it's good to have the deacons uh, step up and, and they'll do that. A couple of weeks ago when I, when I preached on the parable of the dishonest manager, uh, I mentioned that Pastor Lloyd and I often preach through uh, and follow the lectionary for our sermon text, right? Uh, the lectionary provides suggested readings from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, from the epistles, from the Gospels. When we're not doing a sermon series through a book of the Bible, we typically follow the lectionary text and choose one of the three suggested readings for our sermon. And the lectionary isn't a, isn't a hard and fast rule, but it does provide a starting place, right, for where to preach from. And this week was one of those weeks where I have, I have veered from that lectionary text. I started preparing a sermon based on one of the texts that was suggested, uh, the epistle lesson from Hebrews 13, and I got about halfway through. Uh, but as I, as I did that, I, I kept coming back to this text from the book of Psalms. Uh, it was one we looked to go a few weeks ago at Saltines, and, and I cannot shake, I could not shake the feeling that uh, I was supposed to share this with you all this morning as well. So we're going to be looking at the 56th Psalm. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. It's on page 446 of the, of the Pew Bible, if you're using one of those. We have words on the screen as well. But would you stand, if you are able, as I read this morning? Reading Psalm 56 in Jesus' name. To the choir master, according to the dove of the far-off terebinths, a mixum of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid... I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are evil against, or for evil, are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crimes will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. 
In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for this sermon text. This is text from the book of Psalms and uh, the wonderful truths that it contains. So we uh, know that David was in a tough spot when he wrote it, but yet he's still in faith and in trust to turn to you, and you are his confidence. Lord, we pray that you would be our confidence as well. Uh, whatever life uh, may be throwing at us today, whatever up, whatever down we're experiencing, we know that you are there with us. You are for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You probably noticed uh, as I read through that psalm that there was quite a bit of repetition. There were some phrases that David uttered multiple times. He said, in God I trust and what can man do to me and I shall not be afraid along with a couple of other repeated phrases. And one of the characteristics of Hebrew poetry is repetition. In English, poetry, rhythm, and rhyme define poetry. But in Hebrew thought, poetry was characterized by the repetition of thoughts and words and phrases. And the ancient Hebrews would repeat thoughts, words, and phrases, yes, for the sake of emphasis, but they also knew that we learn best by repetition. Anybody who has been around a two-year-old and has read them books will understand that concept, right? Uh, Declan, our two-year-old, is perfectly content reading the same book uh, multiple times a night for a week on end. He would be in heaven if we could do that for him. We sometimes get frustrated reading Good Night, Good Night Construction Site seven times a night, right? But repetition is an important learning tool. And we're going to come to some of those repeated phrases in a bit. But as we do so, it's it's helpful to step back a little bit and to look at this psalm in its wider context. The, The backdrop of this psalm is David's problems at Gath. And this particular psalm, like many of the psalms, began with a title. And I read that portion earlier as I read the first part of the psalm. Uh, but so often the titles in the book of Psalms get neglected. Uh, secular scholars assume that, they were, that those titles were written way, way later as somebody you know, came along and compiled all of these psalms and different things like that. But, but in actuality, the, the titles are, are most likely very old. Recent studies have suggested that they are as old as the psalms they describe and thus probably original to the psalm. So as you read a psalm, don't neglect that heading. Oftentimes they include the author. Psalm 56 is uh, accredited to David. And then often there's some, uh, some information regarding music, right? David said, to the choir master, according to the dove of the far-off terebinth, a mictum. Right, as David wrote this psalm, he directed it to the choir master and, and said, hey, arrange it to this particular tune according to this particular style. And sometimes, sometimes the title includes something that helps us understand the context that the psalm was written in. And that's the case with this psalm, with Psalm 56. It says, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. 
And if the name Gath rings a bell, it, it should. Gath was one of the five major cities of the Philistines. And the Philistines, of course, were the, were the persistent enemies of Israel during the time of the judges and early kings like Saul and David. And one figure loomed large in Gath. His name was Goliath, right? You've heard of him, the David and Goliath fame. Gath was Goliath's hometown. And in 1899, archaeologists uh, uncovered the city of Gath. And they, they started digging in the dirt there, and they, and they dated the ruins of that city to around the 500s B.C., which was about 500 years after David uh, was around. But more recently, in 2019, they did some more digging, and they, and they uncovered underneath those first ruins a second set of ruins that had an even more ancient city of Gath underneath those previous ruins. And these ancient ruins uh, were, were massive by, the, by any standard of, of that day. And that old ancient city has been dated to around 970 B.C., which is right around the time of King David. And there they are digging in the dirt again. And uh, archaeologists even discovered this pottery shard. Uh, it looks like just a piece of rock that we would throw away with some scratchings on it. But they found this pottery shard just a couple of centimeters across that has etched into, the, into it the name Goliath. Now, this pottery shard, the fragments found around with it might not be, you know, that particular Goliath that owned that particular pot, but it's pretty cool nonetheless, right? Uh, and David, we're told, in the title of this psalm, was captured and, and seized by the Philistines in Gath. If you have your Bibles there, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21. It's on page 299 of your, of your pew Bible there, but I want to go back and I want to uh, look at this and this story here since we have it as well. Um, David's already been anointed the next king of Israel. He's already killed Goliath. Those events were, were a few chapters earlier, a few years earlier. Um, but Saul isn't quite dead yet, and, and, he's, and he's actively pursuing this new up-and-coming king named David. And David is on the run. So we're going to start in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, looking at verse 10, and just uh, into the first few verses of chapter 22 there. Uh, but look at this. It says this, David rose and fled that day from Saul. And went to Ashish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another in their dances of him? Saul has struck down his ten thousands, or I'm sorry, his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gates and let spittle run down his beard. Then Asius said to his servants, Behold, you see that the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then going on into chapter two, 22, David departed from there and escaped into the cave of Abdullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. 
And everyone who was in distress and everyone who had debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. This could be a, a sermon in and of itself, but, but notice these three different things. First and foremost, David is alone. David is alone. As he, as he flees for refuge to Gath from the wrath of Saul, he is alone. He doesn't have his men with him yet, that small band of rebels that would cause such a stink in Saul's uh, nose later on and, and be a stench for the Philistines as well. Those 400 men would join him, we read later on, after this time in Gath. So right now, David is utterly alone. David was also desperate. Totally desperate. I don't think that the Philistines would have quickly forgotten the defeat of their champion Goliath in the few years between that event and this time, right? They say that time heals all wounds, but, but all too often people are, are, are not so quick to forgive and forget. I mean, baseball fans are still loudly booing Houston Astros players who were on that 2017 team five years after they, they got uh, busted for sign stealing, trash can banging, right? Some wounds just don't heal. And so I don't imagine that the citizens of Gath warmly, warm, uh, welcomely, warmly welcomed, that's what I was trying to say, warmly welcomed David, the, the shepherd boy turned crown prince who killed their champion. It just goes to show how desperate David was fleeing from one of his mortal enemies, Saul, to another mortal enemy, the Philistines in Gath. I, I suppose David figured that Saul wouldn't look for him there. It was an insane plan to toss yourself at the mercy of an enemy who wanted to kill you. David was desperate. And David was also afraid. So afraid of Saul that he had to flee to Gath. And so afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath, uh, and, and his potential wrath against David, that he, that he feigns madness and insanity. Uh, um, you, you read that in the spittle running down his beard, fingernails scratching on, on the walls, on the doors. And it's this context alone, desperate and afraid, that David pens this psalm. And also, by the way, Psalm 34. You can read that one at home later on today. So if that's, if that's you, if you've ever felt alone, desperate, or afraid, or maybe all of those things all at once, then this psalm is for you. If you're still in 1 Samuel, turn back to, to Psalm 56 with me. We're going to start going through this verse by verse. And, and in the first few verses, David declares his trust in God. I'll read these verses again. As, as I do, think to the context of David in Gath and the spittle running down his beard. Listen to these words again. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Did you hear how... Did you hear how David felt? Did you hear those verbs that he used to describe his enemies' persecutions? Trampled, uh, oppressed, trampled uh, again. He said attacked, 
For David, this wasn't just a bad day at the office. His enemies, both Saul and the Philistines, persecuted him continually and arrogantly. But I also hope you heard in those verses David's utter confidence in the Lord. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? David's utter confidence, his trust, his hope rested in God alone. When I am afraid, and it's often, David said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Trust. It's an interesting word. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Trust often, when we look at it, looks like release. Trusting the Lord often looks like letting go. Trusting the Lord means that we acknowledge that we are not in control of the situation nor the outcomes of the situation. But trusting the Lord also means stepping out in faith, acting on the promises of God. Trusting the Lord is not just a a, a letting go and letting God. Trust in the Lord, having faith in him, is action. Uh, Martin Luther is credited with saying this. He said, faith, substitute trust there, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. This knowledge of and confidence in God's grace makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and with all creatures. This is the work which the Holy Spirit performs in faith. David was so confident in the Lord's working in, in his own life that he said this, what can, what can flesh, what can man do to me? David's trust in the Lord was so strong that even when man could do his worst to David, David knew that the Lord would receive him and take him in. In our gospel lesson for this morning that that Melody read, uh, Jesus talked about this, and he kind of answered that question. Jesus said, Fear not those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, fear the Lord God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is saying, don't fear man. Fear, worship, respect, revere the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, not man. Um, During our worship service each week, uh, we've been praying for a a different persecuted church in in, in a different country, right? Uh, The aid group Open Doors has been boots on the ground for for many years in some of these heavily persecuted nations. And each year they they release their world watch list, which which details the top 50 nations in which Christians are persecuted in. And each week, we pray for another country on that list. We've been doing this for a few years at Maranatha, and I I hope that that hasn't become a a bore during the church service. I I hope that you would take time each Sunday to read through that insert and to pray earnestly for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you want a full copy of that, um, you can find it online. I thought about printing it out, but it's like 100 pages, so I wasn't (laughs) about to sit there and and print it out and try to fold 100 pages and everything like that. All that to say, um, Open Doors estimates that around the world, each day around the world, 11 Christians are killed for their faith. 
That means in any given week, roughly, roughly half of us in this sanctuary will be killed on account of Christ. Most of them we never hear about on the nightly news. They don't make our, our social media feeds. But persecution is real and ongoing. There, there is much that man can do to the body, isn't there, right? Kidnapping, teasing, harassing, mocking, raping, beating, torturing, murdering. Um, there's a lot that you can do. But, but Jesus reminds you that ultimately your life and your, hand, your soul is in the hands of the Almighty They may kill your body and take your life, but they can never remove you from his love and his mercy and his grace. They can never separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We sang that earlier this morning. And unlike David, we might not have physical enemies who are pursuing us or capturing us, who are intent on killing us, And I'm grateful that we don't. But there are a few principles in these verses and in this psalm that we can apply to our lives. Each day, each of us encounter a multitude of situations, a plethora of problems that cause us to fear and to doubt God's love and his his word. Whether it's a family situation, a conflict at work, drama in school, each day we feel alone. We feel desperate. We feel afraid. And our adversary, the devil, Satan, seeks to use those situations to drive us further from God, further from trusting in the Lord, further from his word. The devil loves to make us feel isolated from one another and from the Lord. He wants us to live in fear. He he wants us to live in doubt of God's word and our salvation. The situations that we encounter can, can, can cause us to feel much like David did alone, desperate, afraid. And when we are, not, not if, right, but when, when we are alone, desperate, or afraid, where do we turn? Do we put our, our confidence in a, a certain person, maybe a spouse, or a parent, or, or a, a child, uh, maybe a coworker or a friend? Do we put our confidence in that certain person to deliver us, to save us, to help us out in, in whatever situation we endure? Do we self-medicate with drugs or alcohol or pornography to help ease the feelings of isolation and desperation? Do we bury ourselves in our, in our work to avoid life at home? Do we put our trust in government at any level or a future government that comes at the next election? Are we, are we trusting in the government officials to deliver us from our loneliness, our desperation, our fear? It is our trust in our financial stability, in the wealth that we've accumulated. In God I trust, David said. And I pray that that declaration of David would be your prayer, your motto as well. In the attacks and the trials of life, in the ups and downs and the ins and the outs, may may your trust be in the Lord and in him alone. In God I trust. We should uh, probably keep moving through this psalm. We're only four verses in and it's been like, 20 minutes, so we're going to be, we're going to be here. No, we're going to try to pick it up here. Uh, in verses 5 through 7, uh, we hear David's prayer for justice. Look at these verses again. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They, as, and they wait for my life. For their crimes will they escape. 
In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. The enemies of David, both Saul and the Philistines, David's enemies were searching uh, for his downfall, injuring his cause, thinking evil towards him, stirring up strife, lurking in the shadows to trip him up and to trap him. Saul didn't want, want David to be king. Saul wanted his own son Jonathan to be king after he had gone. But the Lord had rejected Saul and, and Saul's line because of Saul's sin. And the Philistines had equal reason to see for David's downfall. One of the songs that was popular in Israel that year made its, made its way to Gath and went this way. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And those tens of thousands that were being sung about were Philistine warriors. David, in battle, had done great harm to the Philistines, and now they wanted their revenge. And so David petitions the Lord for justice. He says in verse 7, For their crime will they escape in wrath. Cast down the peoples, O God. David asks the Lord here if if the Philistines or Saul will will get off scot-free for their crimes. Will there be any punishment? Will there be justice? That's what David says when he's referring to or saying, casting down the peoples, O God. Give me justice. And justice is kind of a buzzword in today's culture, isn't it? Social justice, justice for so-and-so. And because of that, for, for some, the word justice might have a negative connotation with it. But justice is a good thing. Our God is a God who delights in justice. He has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require, require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly? It's Micah 6.8. Our God delights in justice. And believers, we ought to as well. Simply put, justice is the righting of wrongs. Justice means acknowledging guilt and sin and then seeking to correct those things according to the Bible. But of course, because of our sinfulness, we often disagree about the extent of justice and how long after the fact uh, justice should be doled out. We're not going to go into those questions uh, for this context, but God is a God of justice. God delights in seeing wrongs righted. God delights when his children walk in justice. And in the next section of the psalm, David declares that in spite of all of his troubles, David declares that his anchor is sure. David's anchor is sure. Remember how I mentioned that there's a lot of repetition in this psalm? These next verses here, 8 through 7, get into some of that repetition. He says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love, I love these verses. In them, David acknowledges that the Lord God was, was well aware of the struggles that David was enduring. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? Every endless, sleepless night that David had had spent tossing on his bed or wondering how he would get out of this mess, every tear that he shed in frustration and anger and desperation and depression and loneliness and bitterness, the Lord was well aware of it. And David says, Lord, you know them well. You have written them in your book. 
The Lord takes note of what is going on, and the Lord cares deeply for his own. He knows well the struggles that you are enduring. He's not an absent deity, ignorant or or aloof of of the realities of human suffering. He knows each cry made by every hungry child, each groan of desperation by by an unwed mother, each, each tear shed beside a casket, each heartache, each bout of depression, every sickness, every injury. God is well aware of your struggles, and God cares deeply for his children. And because of that, David was confident that the Lord was working for David's own good. David was confident that the Lord was working for his own good. In verse 9, David said this. He said, This I know. Even as he's running from his enemies, oppressed on every side, David was confident in the Lord and had anchored himself in this reality. He said, This I know, that God is for me. If you are into uh, underlining or highlighting in your Bible, this would be a great line to underline. God is for you. We're in, the, we're in the middle of election season, right? Uh, we're, we're getting advertisements left and right from politicians both on the, the left and the right telling us what they are for and what they are against, right? I am pro this, I am anti that, and we hear it ad nauseum, right? But, but know this, David says, know this, that God is for you. He is on your side. He has your back. Brothers and sisters, God is for you. And how do we know this? How can we be confident of this amazing truth that the creator of the universe is on your side and is for you? In our epistle reading today, we we read from Romans chapter 8. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And some verses to underline if you're an underliner. Romans 8, in verse 31, Paul wrote this. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And yeah, I think Paul had in his mind this psalm, Psalm 56, as he began to to write chapter 8, as he wrote to the church in Rome. How could Paul be confident that God was for us? How did Paul know that God was on our side? He answers that in verse 32. He says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How do we know that God is for you? Look no further than the cross of Jesus, because it was on the cross where God demonstrated his love for you. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be the substitute for you and to be the sacrifice for you and for your sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place and on your behalf, and he offers to you through his blood shed for you the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of your sin. In Jesus, there is life, there is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is mercy, there is healing from all sin, cleansing from all sin. And nothing, Paul says, nothing, either, either death or nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all sin, all creation will be able to separate you, will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. 
So when the storms of life come, and they come, right? When the storms of life come and you find yourself like David, maybe feigning madness and to get out of some sticky situation, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the cross and know that nothing, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. God is for you. Amen. And David, looking forward to uh, the Messiah who was to come, David, David trusted in the Lord, was no longer afraid. He said, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Again, a lot of repetition in that verse, in that psalm. As David wrestles with the struggles of life, he continually needs to remind himself of these promises and of these truths. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Finally, there, there are two more verses that we need to look at. And, and in those verses, David talks about his walk with God. He talks about his walk with God. And one of the aspects of his walk with God is his right relationship. In verse 12, David prays to the Lord and says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. David recognized that he could not get himself out of this mess. There was no way that he could have, in and of his own strength, fled from Saul, fled from the king of Gath. He needed the Lord's intervention. David knew that once he got out of that mess, it would only be proper and fitting for him to worship and to thank the Lord. We too ought to to display our gratitude for what the Lord has done for us and in our lives, and not just one day towards the end of November, right? Oftentimes we pray for things, we receive answer to things only to forget to thank the Lord for what he's done. We're a little bit like those ten lepers that Jesus cleansed and only one of them, one of them came back to thank the Lord for the healing that he received. Or maybe we pray for good grades on a, on a test or pray that we get a positive review from our employer. And when we do, we, we chalk it up to studying enough or, or to working hard enough. Instead, we ought to be like those whom Jesus healed and couldn't keep silent about it. They had to tell everyone what Jesus had done for them. Right worship. And the second aspect of David's walk with the Lord was right living. In verse 13, he says, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David recognized that he was delivered from death so that he might walk before God. In Scripture, walking with or walking before God, our Christian walk refers to our right conduct, a right way of living. We've been saved. We've been delivered from sin, not to live in sin any longer, but that we might walk in the newness of life, walk in the light of life as we put our trust in him. In God I trust. That was David's motto throughout his life, and I pray that it could be yours as well. In God I trust. And that phrase, or a a variation of that phrase, right, in God we trust, is pretty familiar, isn't it? We're probably most familiar with it being on our money, right? Uh, Much to the chagrin of, of many atheists and actually a handful of Christians as well, in God we trust is engraved on our coins, it's printed on our bills, it's etched on government buildings. Do you know how long it's been there? How long has God, in God we trust 
been on our coins and our dollar bills? I was curious, so I Googled it, and now I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> it turns out it wasn't as long as I would have guessed. It was in 1861, there was a pastor in Pennsylvania, the Reverend uh, R.M. Watkinson, uh, who wrote to the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon Chase, pleading that the new coin design would include what he's quoted as the recognition of the Almighty God. And the Secretary of the Treasury was so moved by this pastor's request that he um, asked that the U.S. Mint would prepare a model that would sum up the growing religious sentiment during the early Civil War era in what he said were the fewest and tersest words possible. Uh, the Secretary went on to say, the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. And it was in April 22, 1864, that Congress passed a law requiring the one cent, two cent, and three cent coins to uh, include the phrase, in God we trust. And so it was later on in that year, 1864, the first coins appeared with, in God we trust. And it wasn't until the 1950s, the mid-1950s, that that phrase was added to our paper money. And then in 1956, Congress passed an act that made in God we trust uh, the official model of the United States. And that has, as you might have guessed, been challenged on, on lots of levels multiple times. But I like the reminder on our money, on our cash, of, of where our trust lies. It's, it's not in government. It's not in man. It's not even on the money that it's printed on, right? But our trust is in the Lord. In God I trust. Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this psalm. David had to go through some hard times. We go through hard times quite often, Lord. And may we, may we have confidence as David did. And may we say, in God I trust. What can man do to me? I shall not be afraid. Lord, and as these storms of life come, Lord, sometimes we're not able to confidently say that. We, we waver, we, we doubt. Forgive us, cleanse us, carry us when we cannot carry ourselves. Jesus, we need you. It's in your name I pray, amen.